welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. If you love what we're doing and would like to support us further than just as a listener, which we absolutely thank you for, you can really help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star review and subscribing to this podcast. That really helps people to find us because analytics equals search results. We'll also read it on the air, so if you love to hear stuff you've written on the air, here's your chance. Also, you can become a patron by contributing at any monetary level by going to anchor.fm slash noisyfulfillment. You can also buy us a virtual coffee by tipping us in our virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash noisyfulfillment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash noisyfulfillment where you can comment on stuff, react to stuff, and also message us. You can also email us at noisyfulfillment at gmail.com. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? It's great. It's a rainy Sunday morning, which I love because it makes me want to not go to the grocery store, but make some soup out of what I have in my cabinets. Pretty excited. That's something I can relate to you with Amanda's cooking and feel good food. Something I cannot relate to you on is something you did yesterday. And I'm going to brag about my co-host because she is a runner and she had a fabulous uh, day to run yesterday. And I was thinking about you as I was not out in the sunshine, thinking what a beautiful and glorious weather you got for your run yesterday. So that's actually a misnomer. Um, Oh, Yes. So when you run, it feels 20 degrees warmer than what the outside temperature is. Okay. So, so it was awful. It was. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It started off really good. It started off when my husband and I drive to a river spot that we really like that gives us a lot of shade and bathroom opportunities and not just <laughs> running through town and running yes. into people that I know. So we drive to this spot that's about 40 minutes from us. And when I got out of the car, I was like, ooh, it's a little chilly, which was great. And then by halfway through, it was hot. It was I think we were at like 80 degrees when we finished, which was really hot. And what was really fun was, so we parked at this spot and we ran five miles south, five miles back. And then we were going to run five miles north and five miles back. And the spot that we parked at was the end of a loop that was being used for a Boston qualifier event. Like it it wasn't a race. There weren't medals. It was just literally an event where people, it was a Boston sanctioned event where people could come and run to try to qualify for the Boston marathon. So it was this three mile loop that people had to run like basically like almost nine times. So I'm tired just listening. (laughs) I know. So we run South and in my head, this is so dumb because in my head, I know you have to run a full marathon to qualify for Boston. Like they don't let you, I don't believe they let you qualify with a half marathon time because there's a big difference between a half marathon and a full marathon, obviously. And so in my head, I should have been like, yeah, they're still going to be going when we want to go back that way. But nonetheless, we ran South, got back to our car at about 10 miles. I believe the first time my soul left my body was about two tenths of a mile from there before we got to the car. But then we got to our car and we could see people still running the loop for the Boston qualifier. And so we, they were suffering because it was hot and we had to go that way. And so my husband and I were like, okay, so it's like this loop, but like it's over two bridges and around like this river section where we run. And I was thinking like, okay, we are going to be able to like hop off before the finish line of this event. So we hop in and we had, there are all these people that are there cheering for the runners and they're like, you guys look great. And I'm like, 
dude, we're on a training run. <laughs> we're not trying to qualify for Boston. Like, thank you for cheering. But like, that is misguided. So I, it, all of a sudden, I'm like halfway down the path. And I'm like, Oh, God, we're going to be stuck in their finish line. Like we're, we're literally running with these people that are in mile 25 suffering, trying to get to their finish line. And my husband's like, no, I think we're going to be able to split off before we get there. And sure enough, we come around this bend and it says finish line. And we we had to like, like hurdle over some people who were sitting on the side and everyone's looking at us in confusion. They're like, it's, you're going the wrong way. It's this way. And I'm like, no, bro, we're just trying to finish this, this 20 mile training run. Like, we're good. So it was a little bit of madness and also a really, really hot run. So. Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't relate. I, I, I just can't, there's nothing that could make me run like that except a zombie apocalypse, in which case I know I'm not going to be the worst runner in the entire world. I just have to outrun the slowest runner and they can't get you. Just don't be last. Just don't be last in your safe. Yeah, if you're not first, you're last. Uh, welcome to Noisy Fulfillment. Uh, today we are breaking down episode 21, Sunday in the Park with George, written by Katie Gore, directed by Larry Shaw, first aired May 8, 2005. Um, and you know- I, oh, I did a deep dive on the title. Oh, I'm in. I'm in for this. Okay, so this was a musical with music by your favorite, Stephen Sondheim. Um, And I was so excited because it is based on one of my very favorite paintings in the whole entire world. Mm -hmm. It was based on the pointillism painting Sunday's um, Sunday on the Island of Le Grand Jeté by Georges Seurat, famous for pointillism. And actually that painting is hanging in the Chicago Art Institute. And the first time I ever saw it, like I've loved this painting since I was in the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And the first time I ever got to see it, I just stood there and cried because it was so big and so beautiful. It's just this this painting with all of these different things going on at this park. So this musical was based on that painting. It was a fictional story about George Seurat creating this painting. So it actually won a Pulitzer for the story and then a few scattered Tonys for the work. Amazing deep dive. And for me, it's it's the same idyllic aesthetic as I get of Wisteria Lane. And so mm-hmm. when you give character to that by, by digging through all of these layers of what's really underneath, I find that fascinating in context of what we're talking about with us for Housewives and all the, all the layers we have to unpeel. So Thank you yes. for that, Amanda. Um, if you haven't seen the painting, you should Google it. And yes, it actually was yeah. in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So there's a scene where they're looking at it. And then they kind of like, when you're looking at it, you can see the whole painting. And then they like zoom in a little bit more until all you can see are just the little collection of dots. I actually think of pointillism as one of my like toxic traits is that sometimes I can't see the forest for the trees. And sure. I'm too close. And I can't step back and get a new perspective about how all these things are working together. And that it really does all work out. I'm so focused on minutiae most of the time. So mm-hmm. I try to remember that and refocus myself. And when Addie, my daughter was doing Zoom school, one of the things that we did was we bought an art book that has all these artists in it. And then you read about the artist, you read about a particular work, and then you recreate a work. And she and I did a Surat and we set and we gave it to her grandma, Anne, I think. Uh, Grandma Anne or Grandpa Rob. It went to that household is all I can say. Right. And she loved that it was pointillism and we used Q-tips to make yes. the points. So that'll be the next project that Amanda does a half knitted shit and some Surat Q-tip art. 
Sure. I just signed you up for that, right? Um, We don't have any new reviews from Apple Podcasts, but we have a Facebook message and it was epic. What? I know. People are engaging with us. People we don't know are engaging with us on social media and I'm loving it. So I would like to read that from, uh, read that to you. So this is from Brem2345, who a while back gave us some feedback and talk and wanted to engage with you again, Amanda. So, yep. hey y'all, I'm Brem2345 review from Apple Podcast and wanted to message Amanda back about the area I'm from in Oregon. Oh. Hey, Concordia University brought me back too because that's exactly where I'm from. I live in Arizona now, but I grew up in Oregon just outside of, I'm going to say it wrong, Clackamas, C-L-A-C-K-A. Oh, okay. I was almost there. But went to Portland Christian High School and many friends went to Concordia University. Love the small world and so grateful y'all are still making episodes. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Oh, love it. I'd love to know, did you ever go to the Kennedy School McMinimans? Because that's where I oftentimes had lunch when I was in graduate school. Brem2345, can't wait to hear your post back from that. So thank you so much for engaging with us. And it's so beautiful to hear people are out there listening and ah, feels like a community. It's nice. All right. You want to take us to a summary? Sure. So this episode, there's a lot of different things going on with our friends. We've got Sophie and Morty maybe maybe getting things back together. We've got Susan doing a little bit of research on Mike to see if, you know, if maybe, maybe they can make a go of it. Gabby's pregnancy issue takes an interesting turn as she as she lets John know about it. Bree is continuing, is it an affair or is it not an affair with George? And then Tom Scavo, just, you know, husband of the year, and the, the attempts by Lynette to rekindle their, their little magic. We also have Paul Young trying to figure out what his next move is. So there's, there's a lot happening. All right. Well, in the cold open, we have Mariella saying, when she was younger, Sophie Bremer was a hopeless romantic. She was also hopelessly naive, which is how she came to be married four times. The first time to a man who liked to gamble. The second time to a man who liked to drink. The third time to a man who liked other men. And the fourth time to the same man she married for the second time. Yes, Sophie was tired of having her heart broken. So she decided she would never marry again. And then one night she had a visitor. So we have Morty arriving drunk to propose to Sophie. Uh, Susan saying she doesn't think it's going to happen. So she offers to get him a cab. But Morty presents Sophie with a three carat diamond that apparently once belonged to his wife, Dolores. Sophie agrees to marry him, but she wants her own ring and a bigger diamond than Dolores got. I did a deep dive because I wanted to know how much a three carat diamond that is more than I've ever seen in in my life. I don't think any of my friends have a diamond that big unless I unless they do. And then they'll check me on it. And if so, thanks for listening to the podcast. But I found that there was a huge discrepancy in the amount because a three carat diamond would cost between 19,000 and 95,000 in today's just, are money. You talking just the stone or the rain? Just the stone. Okay. So clarity and all of that and like cut, right? That's exactly what they were saying is that depending on how it looked and all of those C's that we're looking for, was it clarity, cut, color, yes. and carrot? We got, is that four? Okay. Yeah. There might be more, but those are the four I know that that would determine the cost. And obviously setting would cost more than that, but just the diamond, certainly bigger 
and more expensive than anything I've ever worn. Honestly, it'd be sure. lost on me anyway, because I, I haven't lost my engagement ring or my wedding ring, but I have left it places and not known where it was. And then it came to me, oh, I need to go grab that. So mm-hmm. it would be lost on me anyway, and I don't want that insurance policy. It was interesting to me that Sophie kept the engagement and or wedding rings yes. from previous. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that. I... Yes, I did not keep my previous ring. Mm-hmm. There was a time where like somebody that I knew had a jewelry sell back your jewelry party where okay. there was somebody who came and like there was a point in time where gold was kind of scarce, I feel. Absolutely. I yeah. It's wrong, but no, my I, stuff I was, was white gold back then mm-hmm. with like a rhodium plating on it or something. And I sold it back because I, I didn't, I, I know people talk about like, you know, melting it down and doing something else with it. But I just, I didn't really have that kind of interest in my former rings being recycled. I was sad about my former wedding band because I really loved it and designed Mm -hmm. it myself. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's fine. I like what I have now better anyway. So, and a three carat diamond for me, I would be afraid I would lose it or scratch somebody with it or whatever. A friend of mine, when I was in DC this summer, lost a stone. Out, like she had a loose oh, side stone or something. My and sisters lost had it. that happen when we were on vacation yeah. in Florida. It was awful. Yeah. My mom, I remember my mom came to have lunch with with me one time when I was in like second grade and lost the stone <sighs> from her from her ring in the grass. Yeah. Um, my husband, who did the ragbri, the race, the bike ride across Iowa, if you've ever heard of it, it's like literally you dip your I think toe. We talked about this. Yeah. Yeah, you dip your tire in like the you know, the West River, and then you ride all the way across the straight to the, all the way across the state to the East River. And Add these things to the he, things Rachel can't relate to, but go on. <laughs> I could never do it. I was the road crew, so I got really good at setting up tents, but like I am not <laughs> for the bike ride. I'll ride a 45 minute on my Peloton and that's it. Yeah. But my husband was putting on sunscreen. It was like the last day even of the bike ride. And mm-hmm. he, they like camp in, you know, high school yeah, football yeah, yeah. fields, whatever, different places puts on sunscreen, they do their ride. He goes, he like takes his riding gloves off to go in for breakfast and realizes his ring is gone. And so we had to, the next weekend we borrowed a metal detector from one of my neighbors and went, drove back to Iowa and like went all through that area with a metal detector and didn't find it. And I was really upset about it. But then I was like, you know what? It's a thing. It's a Mm -hmm. thing. And And now it's a story. So then we went and got him a less expensive wedding band and not use it. I don't care. Oh my gosh. That would be something that happens to me. And I am I have a really hard time asserting my boundaries and telling people that things are important to me, even when they are. So I would have been like, oh, you know, it's all right. It's my fault anyway. And and probably wouldn't have even gone looking for it because I just don't want to inconvenience anybody. And I really got to work on that. But I'm surprised with this that Susan wasn't as mad about the late night visitor situation as she normally is. like Except that she's just looking had, to get rid of Sophie, man. She is looking. She is, but we... Okay, so she got the gravel in the eye from Zach. And then we had those <laughs> clowns with the... What do they have? Peppermint schnapps or whatever? Yes. In the living room before. Like, she definitely is very calm about this late night visitor. As far as Sophie, I think that she really likes feeling needed. Like, the first thing she says mm-hmm. to Morty is like, you're not supposed to be drinking. What are you doing? And... With the ring, I don't know. What's your thought? Like, do you like the... I don't mind the diamond that's been passed down or the ring that's been passed down generation and generation and generation, but I, I don't I don't think I would want that piece as my, you know, this is our forever 
I don't think I would want what somebody had had with their previous wife, even if I didn't dislike her or if it wasn't a scandal that they, yeah, you know. I want something that is ours. I feel that way about homes more so. I like oh, I'm not yeah. going to live with you in a home that you lived with, lived in with someone else and don't know what to say about that. I just, it's just not me. I didn't even really like living in a place that was his before I moved into it. And we didn't live there very long. We um, bought something together elsewhere, but I just, yeah, I want a new ring. I want a new life. I guess I don't really care that you're trading in her old ring to, and those funds are going to go to her because I feel like money all co-mingles anyway. So I guess I don't have any concerns about that. And also that I get a bigger diamond than her. I I don't know if that's ego or something else. I'm just going to choose the ring that I like. And if that diamond happens to be bigger, that's fine. And if it's not, then that's fine. I also have these little baby hands. My eight-year-old's hands are about the same size as mine. So I just don't think I can carry uh, a huge diamond. And actually, I kind of resented it when I was engaged that I felt like I always had to have my nails done, like a full set, like long-ass nails. um, Yes. Uh, because I couldn't carry a diamond otherwise. Now I don't yes. care because I'm wearing this. Like ring. I have this beautiful ring and these nails that look like garbage. Yeah, everybody's asking me to see it all the time. It's like having a baby bump, but we'll get there at some point. So Mary Alice kind of closes it out. It closes out the cold open saying, Sophie was a hopeless romantic, but she was no longer naive. And to that I say, yes, queen. But I think she still wants the fairy tale. She's not naive, but she still wants the fairy tale. I agree. And we can learn from our past aliens that here's what we're going to accept and here's what we're not. Even though she's still going to marry somebody who threw a book at her. Anyway, we move on. Coming back from the cold open, we have kind of the frame setting is Marielle saying that marriage is a simple concept. Basically, it's a contract between two people that binds them together for life in the hopes that they can live happily ever after. Sadly, some contracts are meant to be broken. I'm going to disagree with that because uh, I was reading Amy Poehler's book. She was talking about her divorce and she said that a friend of hers had said, congratulations when she announced that she was getting divorced and she didn't really get that. And and he and the friend said, well, I've never heard of a good marriage that ended in divorce. So congratulations to you. And it was a, a reframe that really struck me. But I don't know that I get to have an opinion about that. I've not experienced that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love for you that you haven't because it's not great. It's not fun. So, I mean, even if it's meant to end, like just the pulling apart, the unmeshing of lives is kind of a shitty experience. Yeah. It was for me. It was for me. Maybe not for everybody, but I didn't, even though I'd no longer, it was, it was no longer working for me. I didn't love that, the fallout and the experience of picking it apart. So, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, I really Super loved fun. my divorce. They Super can say, yeah, yeah, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah. Yeah. No. We go straight to Casa de Solis, and Gabby is now the one doing the throwing and breaking of things. She's blaming Carlos for her pregnancy, and she sees that the birth control has been monkeyed with. I don't know that I would, I would like be looking for that. I don't know that I would. We so talked about that. that. Yeah. Carlos right away blames it on his dead mother. And Gabby's just like ugly about this mm. a little bit. I, that bitch reaching out from the grave to screw with me. God, she's good. And part of me is like, Gabby, are you doing this because you know it was really Carlos and you're trying to like incite his rage so he'll, you know, lo- he'll drop his cover? She says she's feeling sick and wants to go to Juanita's grave to throw up. I don't like the way that Gabby talks ill of her dead mother in law. Like, 
I don't know. And I, I think it's interesting that Carlos, who normally stands up for Mama Solis, is he seems so relieved he's off the hook that mm-hmm. he doesn't even care how Gabby talks about his mom. Like he's not even worried about defending her. He's just like, whew, dodged a bullet there. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that she was trying to pull out from Carlos that he's really the one responsible. I don't know that I feel that way at all. But Mm. I had to say begrudging respect that she seems to see this as Juanita Solis still manipulating her and manipulating situations from beyond the grave and that Gabby has a level of begrudging respect for that, maybe because she can identify what it is to be manipulative. Could be. Over at Lynette and Tom's, Lynette is upset over the fact that she and Tom have not had sex in over 10 days. And the longest they had gone before that was nine. They make a plan that they will have sex that night. But Annabelle is aggressively honking. I don't understand why there's a need for Annabelle to drive him to the office. I've heard, I feel like that it was a trope or something about a a carpool. And maybe it's because I've never worked in a city city, but he lives in Fairview. This is suburbia. I'm not sure what's going on with the driving situation. I'm not sure either. I do. So I kind of looked at this two different ways based on my own experience when I'm leaving in the morning because my husband now works from home. He's like, he goes into the office a couple of days, but he really hates putting our butter eating dog into his crate. <laughs> so there's a lot of working from home. And I am typically, regardless of what time I start working, I'm never leaving the house with a big lead in, in being on time. Like sure. I just, I, my routine now involves getting up, working out, and then sitting down and having coffee with my husband and my dog before I get ready for my day. So I'm typically like running out the door. And when I'm on my way out the door and I'm in a rush and my husband wants to stop and have a conversation about something that's unrelated to immediate information that I need, I can get a little like, I gotta go, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when the conversation is something where your partner is expressing that they're really upset and feeling insecure... I think you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down and we're going to talk this out because it's really obvious from what we've seen from Lynette over the last little bit, she's really struggling. And mom's job as her partner is to make her not feel insecure about their relationship. And he's not doing, he's not doing that job at this point. So instead of making her feel ridiculous I think that he needs to do better and he needs to do a little bit of self-reflection. I mean, he does say like, you have nothing to worry about, but Lynette doesn't feel great when Annabelle comes in and Lynette's got, you know, her pajamas on and, and Annabelle's looking all like, you know, corporate, whatever. It makes Lynette feel terrible. So yeah. Tom needs to not have Annabelle coming into his house. Tom needs to drive himself to work. Like they, there needs to be some sort of conversation and agreement on both parts as to what's going to make everybody feel comfortable and yeah. And obviously this is a new development because Lynette didn't know that Annabelle was working there. Yeah. She would have known earlier had this carpool situation been continuing. So again, I think it's a trope just so that we can get her into the house or, you know, a convenient plot so that we can get her into the house to make Lynette feel shitty by comparison, but didn't work for me. So then we cut over to across the street to Susan's house and, and Sophie's leaving and Morty's, you know, struggling under the weight of these bags. It didn't seem like a ton of bags for Susan's mom to have just moved her whole life in there, but she's Sophie standing there admiring her ring in the sunlight and, you know, tells, tells Susan that Mike still loves, 
like, I don't know that that whole Mike still loves you. Yes. He's distracted because he just had something really tragic happen to him. But I also liked Morty being kind to Susan in this, in this scene. I feel like, you know, he's trying to kind of be family to her and that's good. He should. Yes. And he says, if I had given up, I wouldn't be now with Sophie. And I wonder how much of Susan says, yeah, and she'd still be living here making my life hell. So thanks for that. Thanks for not giving up. You're right. I should not give up. Thanks, Morty. Over at Brie and Rex, Rex's health continues to deteriorate and George continues to find ways to get into Brie's life. During uh, dinner at a fancy restaurant, Brie tells George about her adventures to Europe, specifically Italy. And George asks if one day she would like to go with him. And Brie says, no, I can't do that. I'm still, I'm married. People will talk. But as Brie spoon feeds George, something I do not do with my partner, it may be it's a, a generational issue. Edie Britt sees her from across the table and it's super awkward for everybody. I wanted to point out before we even get there, the pearl choker that Brie is wearing, I swear to it that that was one of Maisie the prostitute's options for accessories when she was working with Rex in session. <laughs> I swear to it. Interesting. I feel like you need to do a rewind on that. Um, okay. Okay. Brie, not okay on a mm. lot of levels. You're on a date. You're very like you're dressed like you're on a date. You are a hundred percent on a date with someone who's not your husband. Yes. And B, you're shit talking your husband about his mug of root beer and plate of spaghetti. And when jo- the minute George says he wants to go to a trip, go on a trip to Italy with her, like that's the moment where Brie should be like, yeah, this is bad. I need to, I need to back my way out of this. And I, I need to not continue this, this relationship with this person. The spoon feeding for me was a no. And of course, Edie sees it. And the look on Edie's face is like, you're in it now, Brie. I own you. <laughs> like, you know, I love, I love for Edie that she gets any sort of opportunity to come out on top because she never does. But I just, I find Bree's choice here just really disappointing. It's totally inappropriate. The whole thing is inappropriate. And you're absolutely right. She's already said to George on another time, wouldn't you just be hoping that I would change my mind and we could get back together or, you know, that we could continue a, a romantic relationship. And so she's aware that these things are present and they're presenting themselves. So yes, you're absolutely right that that is the time to shut that down. Yes, that's a no. So then we go over to Lynette and Tom's and Lynette has the kids in bed and Tom, or well, she gets the kids to bed as soon as Tom comes in. Was it as soon as Tom comes in or? I feel like, yeah, they're crossing. It's like the changing of the guards. He's not going to have to do any of the work. She said that mommy and daddy have a very important meeting. Yes, yes, yes. And Tom walks in the door and she jumps on him right away. And Tom says, give me a second to let the office wear off. And I have to say, I understand that as a person who is a hundred percent of the time in my own head, if I don't get a chance to decompress, like I can't step away from it. Like when I used to, I mean, I currently live, you know, 12 minutes from where I work, but I (laughs) I used to be at a point where I I legitimately was a four minute drive from work and Mm -hmm. would come home and just needed like, I needed like a 30 minute drive. Honestly, I probably should have just done multiple laps around my house to drop whatever and come into my house as a person, not as an employee who has just left their, their place. So I get that from Tom. Yeah. So Lynette just pounces on him and Tom doesn't like the way she smells and makes her feel disgusting. Yeah. 
yeah. So baby drool, Lynette first blames it on baby drool, but then then it's vomit. So I, I feel like there's a difference there. Absolutely. There's absolutely a difference between baby drool and vomit. I think baby drool, if I was going to put it into a category, I can't wait to hear how listeners feel and how they're going to tell me the baby drool smells. I feel like baby drool smells like a sweeter version of saliva. Like when you can, when you like you smell it and you just know it's mixed with your formula or your breast milk. Like there, there is a unique scent to that. It's certainly not a clean smell by any means, but baby vomit, that is stronger. Like that is acidic. I can smell it like, like the scent smells of having a baby. I absolutely remember that smelling differently. Either way, yeah, my legs would be close to you too, Tom. Like I'm not getting back from that. I'm not coming back from that. I'm not going to feel sexy after that. Your wife is struggling. She's identified that for you. She's taking care of your brood all day while you're mm-hmm. out, you know, being, you know, Mr. Corporate Guy and getting to, you know, rub elbows and be and feel important, which we know that was a really important part of Lynette's persona. Absolutely. That, that probably made her feel sexy. Yeah, exactly. And you just made her feel like shit. You made yep. her feel stinky and like shit. And the comment of guys sometimes like mm. it when a woman puts a little effort into things, I would be like, no. Absolutely not. I love, I just like it when he says, I just like it when you're all clean and in your sexy clothes. And I think that Lynette should murder him right now. Yep. So justifiable on the side. Um, and then the baby wakes up and then everything's off anyway. I also clocked, I don't, you know what? It's just not something I do because I have an eight year old running around. And even though you put those kids to bed, I put a kid to bed six times in one night. So my husband, I probably would have gone to our room. Yeah. <laughs> Because anybody can walk in at all times. Yeah. All right. Well, we go over to Mr. Shaw, the private detective's car, and he's talking to Paul about how Susan hired him. Lucky for Paul that he, Mr. Shaw, has the largest ad in the phone book. And that would so be my luck is that I would choose the private detective that is already working for my enemy. So you know what? Kudos. That Good for you that you have the largest ad. You're doing something right. Mr. Shaw's advice to Paul is to run. He says it's over. The jig is up. But Paul says that Zach won't go. And he's calling the shots right now. But Paul, you're the adult. So yep. be the adult. We're leaving. Sorry. Like He seems to be holding whatever it was, whatever was revealed to him in that car that Zach has the power now. And so the only way to, to make this happen is going to be through manipulation. Nonetheless, uh, Mr. Shaw is going to continue the ruse. You want to take us there? Yes. So he lies to Susan and basically tells her everything that Paul wants her to to think because the conversation that he had with Paul before leaving the car was tell me what you want this woman to believe. So gives her the, you know, the name story, the baby Dana dying due to a fall. And Susan's like, oh my gosh, it's all true. Which I have to say, if I had hired a private investigator, I wouldn't be like, oh, is he a double agent? Like that would not. No, of course Um, not. No. And Susan then is like, well, wait, I have somebody else that I want you to investigate. So she now turns him on to Mike. Yes. And I get it. She's not trying to be a sneak. She needs somebody with real information to tell her whether or not this guy's okay. Because she really wants him to be okay. 
Absolutely. And I guess I now have a little bit more respect for Susan before I had shamed her a little bit that you have a teenage daughter you are responsible for. When you're bringing people into your home and into your life, you have to make sure they're safe. I didn't even have a child, but I was 23 when I met my husband and he was seven years older than me. He still is. I just forget that he's seven year old, seven years older than me. I didn't background check him, but I certainly Googled him. I tried to, I made sure that he really worked at the place that he worked. And, you know, it's just good for her. Good for her for being protective now of her heart and of the safety of her family. So over with Gabrielle, not at the Solis home, but Gabrielle goes to find John and he is, does that look like a field to you? Like maybe he got a park or something? Could could be. Okay. I mean, it looks like a big job. I mean, looks like things are expanding in his business. Um, And Gabrielle tells John that she's pregnant and that he may be the father, but she tells him that then he freaks out. And why wouldn't he? He's just a kid. He says, how am I going to afford child support? I just bought a dirt bike. Um, it was adorable. I, I thought it was, I thought that was adorable, but she says, that's why you need to let me protect you. And I would say the protection works both ways there, Gabby, but she says, you know, even if it is yours, you need to be very careful and don't tell anybody about our affair because this is the way I can protect you. So first, can he please stop calling her Mrs. Solis? Amen. God, he really, for somebody I agree. It was kind of a cute scene and it helped us remember that he's a kid, but like for somebody who is begging her to be a viable option in in her life, he really loses control. Like he's kicking bags of grass and Mm -hmm. like flips his lid. So if, if I'm trying to be somebody's backup plan, I don't know that that's the way that I can instill confidence in, in that person. But I did love the, I can hardly afford my new dirt bike, let alone child support. Bro, what, then why did you give her your credit card a couple weeks ago? Like We saw how just, well that went. Right. <laughs> to me, it just kind of is like, like polar opposite of mm-hmm. a couple episodes, what we saw from him. But then Gabby's like leaning back on, like sitting on his little lawnmower and is like, we don't even know if it's yours, so relax. So I guess I understand Gabby saying like, okay, I'm pregnant. So you really need to zip your lip if you want to not lose your life to my scary ass husband. But part of me is also like, why are you telling him this? But then you're like, you don't ever get to be this child's parent. And it might not even be yours. You need to calm down. Even though I've come over and like riled you up in the middle of the field. Like I had a lot of questions and a lot of conflict with this scene. I agree. There's continuity differences between... I'm your backup plan. I can provide nice things for you. Look at how many jobs I'm getting and my lawn mowing business is expanding. And the reaction seems to be inordinate. Uh, The other piece I would say to why she came to him is it's a small town. He's going to find out she's pregnant and be able to do the math about that. So I think she's trying to head it off at the pass that if he had any ideas that he was going to be honorable and take care of them or, you know, freaking want to have a relationship with your child, which is totally reasonable that she's trying to head that off at the past. That is my two cents. I agree with that. I agree with that. I love at the end where he's like, I should have worn a, I guess I should have worn a condom. And she's like, yeah, I wanted to be like, Gabrielle, you've got to be freaking kidding me. Come on. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So then we bop on over to Susan's and 
Susan can't handle the stress of the envelope of information. So she has Julie open the information for Mr. Shaw. Seriously? Um, and she tells, yeah, I, right, right. Let's make our child be the adult yet again, Susan. She tells Julie to put a positive spin on it. And Julie says, I have good news and I have bad news. Which do you want first? And Susan, of course, wants the bad news. Are you a good news first or bad news first? Nope, I'll take the veggies first, please. Yep, same. So the bad news is that the guy Mike killed was a cop. So then Susan's like, okay, what's the good news? And Julie's like, well, there isn't any. So the headlines call Mike a drug dealer who killed a cop. And in the background of a photo, Susan sees Noah and Kendra. And I'm trying to remember how many times did Susan engage with Kendra where she would see this photo of her from years back and remember who it is. I think it's just the time that she sees her going into Mike's house because it's canceling their date then at the garage sale, and then at the bar. So it's three times, I would say, but they're really closely linked in time. I would say that it's possible for her to recognize her simply because she had associated her with maybe the competition. Mm. So that maybe that really did imprint a little bit. But I agree with you that if Kendra looked drastically different, which I have to say she didn't look drastically different in that picture necessarily, that, yeah, that, that, that could be something. I guess maybe I'm not observant enough that I would be like, oh, wait, I saw you this one time and here you are in this picture. It's all no, I, no I, I think you're right. About me as a person, yes. I think I, sometimes I literally interact with people on social media who are my friends in real life, but I haven't seen them in three years because COVID happened. And then I, I just saw one on Tuesday and I did a double take. Like, is that really Molly? But it was. That happened to me on Friday? No. Thursday. There was an event on campus and it was like all the like different community people who were on campus. And I walked past a friend of mine who I had one of his kids in my class, his wife and I coached together and he married my husband and I, but he had on sunglasses (laughs) and beard. And I literally, I walked past him and I smiled. He apparently said hi to me, but there was music and I didn't hear it. Okay. I texted his wife. I was like, Hey, is your husband at this event? She's like, I don't know, probably. And I'm like, does he have a beard right now? And she's like, yeah. So I circled back around. I was like, hi. And he's like, I said hi to you. And I'm like, I didn't hear you, but I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize you. And he's like, yeah, COVID really did a number. And I'm like, no, it's not that. It's the beard and the sunglasses and wrong place. I feel like for me, if I yes, run into something. correct. I don't expect you to be here. Yeah. I can't put together who you are. Like, hey, you're the teller at my bank, but we're here at Why Target. Why are you at the gym? Because you have no right to be anywhere else. Just stay in the places where I live. You live in the place where I am used to experiencing you. I've also been guilty of knowing that someone recognized me and totally faking it. Like, oh my gosh, good to see you. And then taking a picture of them, putting it on my Facebook to somebody that I know and say, how do I know this person? And sometimes my friend... Sometimes my friends are real clutch about, hey, that's your dad's ex-wife. Oh, okay, great. Great. Yes. I was a time. kid. I don't oh, remember. Do I know that person? How do I know that person? All the time. Oh, yes. Um, I think of Double Wears Prada where her two assistants are, are in like- charge. Yeah, are in charge of knowing all these people so that they can whisper in her ear who they are so that they think they know them. I don't feel that way. I just don't remember people anymore. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, okay. So over at Noah and Kendra's house, Kendra sees Noah talking to Mike and insists that they stop investigating into Deirdre's death. What does it matter? 
you know, she reminds them that Deidre hated you both. And Kendra is deeply hurt and angry, claiming that Deidre humiliated their family. And it's really hard because she says some harsh things there, Kendra does. But she's obviously been impacted by Deirdre and the whole family has been impacted by addiction and trauma. And so it's hard. She's allowed to have her feelings. She's allowed to have her feelings, but also her dad's allowed to have his feelings too. Yes, that's true. You know, that's, I think that that can be hard for us to remember that our own trauma is separate. Our own experience with someone is separate from somebody else's experience with them. And we have to, we have to honor and respect everybody's perspective, you know? Yeah. And she knows that she doesn't have a lot of time with her dad. And this seems to be something really negative. We never see them interact positively where I could say Kendra wants it to be this way with her dad in the time that they have remaining together. But I would hope that that plays some role. Yes. So Rex wants a new cardiologist and Bree is afraid of hurting the cardiologist's feelings because they socialize and they're friends with the doctor and his wife. But Rex is like, I'm not getting any better. Like this dude is not doing his job. Although as the viewer, we know that it's not him. So I want that to get figured out for Rex because I think that that's a really hard spot when you feel shitty and you, you are trying everything and you don't know why you feel shitty. So I really want for, for Rex to have the opportunity to feel better. And I think it's, a little selfish of Brie to have that response of like, but how will this affect our social standing? And I was going to say, I'm not a doctor, but if I were a doctor, I would feel this way. I am a doctor. I'm just not a medical doctor. Yes, you're um, a doctor. <laughs> but in terms of that, as a professional, if a student comes to me and feels that I've done something wrong or that there is another way of going about it, I'm all for listening to that. But what, and once I've made a decision, if they disagree with my decision, I'm not necessarily angry if they decide to go to the dean and ask what the dean thinks about it. I'm, I stand behind my opinion and my, I'm pretty convicted about certain things, but I'm willing to take in other stimulus. And if they want to have the dean look at it and the dean have a conversation with me about the decision I've made, I feel pretty solid in my decision. I'm okay with that. And I would hope that someone dealing with literal life and death wouldn't be offended by a second opinion. Agree. I agree with that. Well, she, do you want to run across the street at the same time? It's kind of the same scene. It's up to you. Sure. Okay. So Brie sees Edie and has a conversation with her about George. Mm-hmm. And Edie's like, yeah, you're you're kind of cheating. And Brie's like, no, I'm not. We're not having sex. And Edie's, Edie is spot on here with yes, the intimacy. It's, still, it's an emotional affair. It's 100% an emotional affair. And but Edie at first is like, I don't blame you. I remember, you know, when Rex was sticking it to his hooker housewife, I think, or her Gosh. her term she uses. But Bree says something about, you know, I share my hopes and dreams and innermost thoughts with him. And Edie's like, you sort of are, are having an affair. Like, sex aside, you're pretty intimate with a guy who's not your husband. Spot on. And I also like that she's like, well, why can't you talk to your own husband that way? Why don't why can't you talk to Rex that way? And I think that gives Bree a second to like why can't I talk to my own husband that way? And I got to hand it to Edie for, for being definitely spot on with her assessment of that and not being rude or judgmental to Brie, but really like calling her on her bullshit. It was almost an objective statement of fact, as opposed to judgment, which is hilarious because Edie is literally judged at every turn. Mm -hmm. So I, I like for her that she's convicted in her beliefs. 
Yes. So with Felicia, Felicia calls over to the young house because she hasn't seen Zach lately. And she says she really enjoys them spending time together. But Zach hasn't been feeling well for two days. Paul brings him some hot cocoa. And he says, you know, things are just not going well for us, Zach. I think we need a fresh start. I think it's this house. Bad things seem to happen. Susan Meyer's kitchen, for example. Yeah, and he's clearly poisoning his son uh-huh. with it, making sure he he hands him the correct cup of cocoa. Yeah, Zach didn't deny the kitchen thing, but I also feel he's definitely not lucid yes. in that moment yes. since he's being poisoned Drugged. with the tranquilizer. Yeah, just not poisoned, drugged. drugged. Although, would you say it's poisoned? I would say he's being drugged because we're not. Yeah. We're not trying to kill him. We're just going to give him a nap. And that he's not going to get sick necessarily. He's just going to be suggestible. Yes. Yes. So head over to um, the Scavos and Lynette and the baby step into a, I can't remember what it was called, but it was essentially a lingerie. Right. Not even really a lingerie, like like a Fredericks of Hollywood kind of place. Sure. Um, she... Lynette sees a French maid costume in the in the front window and purchases it and brings it home and puts it on and is like sexily dusting around her house in some patent leather, which to me just makes me feel like I'm gonna sweat yes. through it. She's drinking wine, she's waiting, Tom's not showing up, she's drinking more wine. So she of course passes out face down, buns up on the couch. And when we saw the outfit in the window, we did see it from the backside. So we know that Lynette's definitely has a a little bit of a display happening if she's laying that way. And Tom brings home a colleague who sees her. And Tom doesn't see her first and is saying something about, you know, you okay to sleep on the couch? And the colleague sees her and is like, well, hell yeah, I'm okay to sleep on the couch. Lynette's doing everything to try to save this marriage. And Tom is doing nothing. Also, bringing home a house guest to spend the night without a heads up. How would you do with that? No. And it's not even that I necessarily mind somebody else being in my home, but our relationship just doesn't work that way where one of us would be surprised about the other one, particularly me because I'm particular about how my house needs to look when people come over. Another toxic trait. Same. I share that trait. Okay, good. Again, you would think that I'd be able to keep it straight. I only have one kid. Lynette has three and that house looks much cleaner than I've seen it before. So she's, oh, poor thing. But yeah. Does she have, four, does she have three kids or four? It feels sorry, like Sorry, she has four. She has four because the baby. Okay. Right. You're absolutely right. Baby. The baby I only see, baby. Yeah, I only see the three boys that are constantly underfoot. Yes. So the next morning, Tom makes fun of Lynette for it. Mm-hmm. Lynette's cleaning up this mess of a breakfast situation. <laughs> It literally looks like a war happened in her kitchen. And Tom makes fun of her. And Lynette gets really vulnerable and is like, I was feeling like our marriage is in trouble and one of us should do something to save it. Yes. And what happens? We hear a horn honking outside, which is just perfect timing. I think that for Tom to make fun of her for doing that is absolutely inexcusable. I think what happened was silly that he brings somebody home. But I think in that moment, like, that's not the conversation you have. Once everything is repaired and feels comfortable again, if you want to circle back and have a laugh at that, perhaps, but like to make fun of your wife for making, for putting herself out there and doing something really uncomfortable and doing a really big gesture to try to save your marriage 
that's why is he so freaking dumb? Absolutely. And it, it feels demeaning because it's about how it's taken, not necessarily about how you meant it. And if anything, it could just be, I am sorry. I meant to be funny, but obviously this is something we need to look at. So I apologize. It was not my intention to mock. Yes. Oh, so Gabby's having trouble eating at her home. She says that she plans on getting really fat as a tribute to Carlos's mother. Don't love that language. Uh, John shows up though and tells she's having trouble eating, but she's eating nachos while Carlos is in the bath. She says that it's she can't taste anything. Like everything is so bland to her. But why are we eating nachos in the bathroom? I mean, that bathroom's the size of my house, so my sure, but. She's trying to spend time with him. Again, obvious plot device, I guess. I'm not eating nachos in a bathroom ever. I don't eat in the bathroom, but she brought the champagne to the bathroom. It's a nicer bathroom than, I mean, it's like a, it's like a wardrobe or like a dressing room or something like that. So I feel like she thinks she's getting away with something. But anyway, nonetheless, John shows up and says that he's going to tell Carlos about the affair. Gabby needs that to not happen. So she's doing all of this back and forth, slapstick, like I Love Lucy style comedy, runs upstairs, tells Carlos, don't get out of the bath. I'm going to join you. Make the water hotter. I'll, I'll be in in just a second. Runs back downstairs, locks the door. John can't get, you know, John says he's going in. She won't let him in. And finally, to get him to just end it, she throws salsa in his eyes. So... I like your commitment to like, I have to stop this at all costs, Gabby, Mm -hmm. but salsa in someone's eyes. And also John's eyes would not recover that quickly from a salsa shower. Right. And what is with with the writers and wanting to take out everybody's corneas, uh, gravel in the eyes, salsa in the eyes. Exactly. But then Gabby has a moment where she is really real with John about like, I need this baby to have a good life. You obviously have, like, you're a loser and you have no future, which I think that's a shitty thing to say to somebody. But I think in this moment, she's trying to be as direct as possible so that John will just leave her alone. I need this baby to not grow up poor like I did, which get it, but like- At all costs. At all costs, right. At all costs. So she's willing to stay in this marriage where she's unhappy so that she can be provided for and she's willing to take away John's ability to be the dad of his potential kid so that the kid can have piano lessons. That's what she She literally yeah. says lessons in summer camp. So, And John seems to come to that realization because Carlos gets out of the bathtub, comes downstairs and says, oh, John, what are you doing here? And he said that he had been informed that the, was it the hydrangeas? Yes, um, some, okay, that the hydrangeas were looking ill and he wanted to take a second look. And Carlos says, you know, you really should come back and be our gardener again. You're, You're basically almost, like family. Yeah. <laughs> oblivious to the entire encounter that would have happened before. A lot of uh, dramatic irony there. You're practically family. Yes. So Felicia is sitting outside and sees Paul leave. She's sitting outside reading a book on her porch, sees Paul leave and goes over, knocks on the door, no answer. So she just lets herself in the garage because mm-hmm. you do that in your neighborhood. Finds Zach, like goes through the whole entire house, finds Zach unresponsive. So she goes through the, the house again to look for like what's causing Zach to be unresponsive and finds these tranquilizers in an oven mitt in a drawer. Yeah. And drags Zach, slaps him to wake him up and then drags him back over to our house. 
She is a nurse. She does have some she does have some medical expertise, right? So first do no harm, but she might really think that he's in trouble. That but I mean, kudos to her that she can find where the drugs are hidden. Right away. <laughs> like basically right away. Yeah. I mean, we don't know because again, timelines are not really a thing, but yeah, so she rescues him. Which and rescues and or kidnaps. I mean, let's think about how we're gonna we're gonna package that. All right, so we go over to the Scavo house, and Tom has internalized at least some of what Lynette was saying because he gives her, I can't even think of, a timer, like an egg timer, timer, right? And says, when this goes off, meet me in the bedroom. And he, when she gets up to the bedroom, he is wearing a thong. And makes a comment about this thing's chafing. And I, after running 20 miles yesterday... (laughs) Um, you're, you're 45 seconds in that thong. You do not know what chafing is. That was the wrong word. It was a really fantasy, awkward. I give you fantasy. I agree. It was a really awkward segment for me with all the purring and growling. <laughs> but Lynette is here for it. And yeah. Mom's like, turn the light off. And she's like, no, I certainly will not. So again, super awkward, but at least Tom's finally making an effort. So that is that is good. I love that for Lynette. They she look happy in this moment yeah. right now. Yes. So Paul comes over to Felicia's to pick him up. And she's just sitting there with some some cookies and some photocopied pages of Martha's diary. She Martha documented that Paul and Mary Alice stole a baby named Dana. Mm. And Felicia says, you know, since she murdered Martha and all, I, I kind of feel like, Paul, you need to get the hell out of here. And you know, you don't, you don't really want to make Zach have to be a fugitive. So you can just leave him here. He's better off with me. They kind of have that little back and forth. And Paul says, well, can I at least go to say goodbye? I'm sure he's thinking he'll go to say goodbye and grab his kid and, mm-hmm. and pull him across the street. And Felicia's like, well, did you allow me to say goodbye to Martha? Good. Fair point. How did Martha find out that they stole the baby? How did Martha we find know that? out that they stole the baby? Yeah, we do. Back in either last episode or the one before that, we had Felicia remembering that Martha was there. I mean, does she, how does she know she stole the baby? She had the idea, first of all, that that would have happened when she said to her, you know, how do you know Mary Alice? And she said, her name's Angela. I worked with her at the rehab place. Oh, yes. um, okay, that's- but then she got, but then she verified it through the diary entry, I think. Yes. Yes. So in this scene, I agree. It's the weirdest way of... Yeah, I'm going to take your child now. Would you like a cookie? Yeah. yeah. And then get on your way. Be on your way. You're all set. Do you think the cookies were poisoned? No, I don't think the cookies were poisoned. She has no reason. It's a fair question. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it like that, but I don't think the cookie I don't think the cookies are poisoned. However, would that not be the funniest way to get back at him? It's like you put tranquilizers in the cookie. I don't know. I wouldn't be taking a cookie from her anyway, so Sure. If I'm him and you just accuse me of uh, killing your sister and whatnot. Yeah. So Susan goes to Kendra and Noah's, this family estate, it seems like. And she is explaining to the security guard that she's going to get up there. Like, you're going to let me do this because, you know, we all need love in our life. But 
Not so much. The security guard does not believe, just, you know, is not going to let her get by him. And I love it when he has her pinned down and she said, it's not my fault. You don't have any love in your life. That is so something I would say, like, to make something funny. (laughs) And so after being accosted by the security guard, Noah does talk with Susan and Kendra is there. And he said, yeah, Mike was a drug dealer who sold heroin to Deirdre and killed the officer who was trying to send him to jail. As Susan walks off, though, Kendra said, yeah, absolutely. Kendra says, you know, why did you do that? And he said that he has to keep up the lie. If he tells her the truth, then Mike and she might reconcile and Mike may not do his job, do his job. I put in quotation marks. There's a job he needs to do. And if he has love in his life, if he has this relationship with Susan, he's going to be less likely to fulfill that. Because he'll be distracted or won't want to put himself in an unsafe situation or perhaps won't want to lie to Susan anymore because obviously the main pain point in their relationship and the the part that created the fracture was the lie. Absolutely. But the truth was real complicated. Yeah. But again, this is Noah putting this on Mike. So we we don't have evidence that this is what would happen, but Noah, it's a fair assumption, man. Yeah. He, He can't let anything get in the way of Mike fulfilling his obligation. Even Mike's own. Or safety. Yeah. So at Brie and Rex's, Rex is doing the crossword, very into it. At Brie and Rex's, Rex is doing a crossword and Brie is thinking about, I think, what Edie said about why can't you talk to your husband? And so she's trying to engage him in a conversation. Let's do more things as a couple. Let's go on a trip. And he cannot lift his eyes from that damn crossword puzzle or Sudoku or whatever. It wouldn't have been Sudoku because I don't think we were doing Sudoku back then. So it must have been crossword So she starts reminiscing about Italy and Rex still with his eyes on that crossword puzzle is like, yeah, I just remember sweating like a pig and wishing we hadn't spent all of our savings. So like he's laughing about it to himself, but really makes Brie feel sad. I don't understand these two at all. So I don't understand. They keep switching back and forth. Who's making the attempt and who's trying and husbands out there. If you're listening to this, when your wife is trying to have a conversation with you, just make some eye contact, put your crossword puzzle down. Cause you know, you're not really able to concentrate on it anyway with somebody yammering in your face about taking a trip to Italy. So like just engage in the conversation and let your wife have her moment of remembering your expensive family trip. And if it's on TV, go ahead and tell me you don't have DVR because everything is possible nowadays. Make the effort. I agree. And I I will make that a non-gendered comment. Both ways. If somebody's trying to talk to you, put down your phone, put down your book, yes. put down your, put down your, put down your, be engaged in the conversation. Absent presence is a, is a real thing. And if you can't have that conversation at that time, if you have too much cognitive load and your brain needs for you to watch The Bachelorette or do your crossword <laughs> instead of engaging or look at Facebook, then say, hey, can you give me like four minutes? And then I'm happy to, I'm happy to sit down and talk with you. Like that's, yeah. I appreciate if somebody, if somebody cannot give me their attention when I need it, letting me know that instead of letting me just stand there like a fool and continue to try to have a conversation when they're not mentally prepared to have that conversation. I would much prefer the come back to me in like 10 minutes. Absolutely. So still at Kendra and Noah's estate, secretly Kendra gets in the car, tells Susan to drive across, drive to the side so that they can't be seen. And she secretly tells Susan that the cop who Mike killed 
was it was a matter of self-defense. And Mike was trying to stop a corrupt cop who was extorting sex from Deirdre. And Mike had done drugs, but that he had kicked the habit, but Deirdre couldn't. For her, it was a true addiction. And she says she couldn't or wouldn't, I don't know. And I really appreciate that Kendra gives at least some space to, even if she wanted to, she wasn't able to, and allowed some grace there. And Kendra continues that when Mike busted in on Deirdre with the police officer, there was a scuffle. They both went over a balcony, killing the police officer. Mike's the only one who got up. Chilling. Chilling. Yeah. And then Susan is like, has this epiphany that it was self-defense and you just see the weight of the world just come off of her shoulders because she knows he's not a bad guy. He was in a complicated situation. I knew he was good. She says, and I just knew I it. Good for you, Susie. Yes. Good for her. And then we get to Mary Ellis closing us out with the vow is really simple. Those who take it promise to stay together for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, Morty and Sophie, in sickness and in health, and we see Rex and Brie, to honor and to cherish, we see Lynette and Tom, forsaking all others, we're seeing Carlos and Gabby, until death do us part, and we see Paul and Mary Alice in the picture. Yes, the vow is simple. Finding someone worthy of such a promise is the hard part, but if we can that's when we begin to live happily ever after. And we see Mike and Susan reconciling and kissing. Yay, I love that for her. I do too. I do too. Yes, for both of them. They've been, both of them have struggled with being able to, they, they love each other. They really are perfect for one another. And these things just keep getting in their way. Can I just point out really quickly, it feels like it's been a minute since we've had all of the women together as friends. Like it, it's been a minute since I've had like a, a girl's chat. I agree where we've had all of them in the same place. I agree. So we need more of that. All... Yeah. More. Yeah. More where's poker? Isn't it poker day yet? Or some, or coffee on somebody's beautiful covered porch on their perfect furniture that is, you know, safe from the elements. <laughs> um, are you ready for two truths and a lie, Amanda? Yes. Okay. So in this one. which of these is the lie? Ava Longoria said, every actor hates being pregnant on a show because you have to wear those awful fake stomachs. So I asked Mark right from the get-go, please don't make me pregnant. And at the end of season one, I'm pregnant. Or Mark Cherry said, we wanted to do a whole comedic bit where Susan goes to Noah's house and they have peacocks and she's waiting outside and gets attacked by a peacock. Or Harriet Sampson Harris, who plays Felicia, if that's not clear, Though I've had many comedic roles, this role was a challenge for me because I had to tap in so deeply to a dark humor that would exist in the suburbs, a portents of evil hidden by a smile. The lie is Eva Longoria with the pregnancy belly. No, she was very concerned. She even suggested that that if she had to be pregnant, they just wait for her to get pregnant, which I don't believe actually happens uh, at any time during the series. I could be wrong, but yeah. No, that's true. Oh. The peacocks. No, I got you this week. No, they did want to use peacocks, but they said peacock wrangling or peacocks can't be trained, which is funny because I also watched 30 Rock and they used a peacock for uh, an entire episode arc. So interesting. No, Harriet Sampson Harris did not say that, but I could so see her saying it. So I think that you should give yourself some grace there. Okay, thanks. (laughs) 
Ah, so next time we are headed to goodbye for now, which is not the finale. I was going to say that that sounds like a finale. It's one away. It's one away. We have two more episodes in the season. I hope that we can get these done before my marathon. That's my personal. I will do my best. Oh, and also, listeners. Uh, Amanda always wants to take blame, and I don't love the word blame, but she always wants to say that it's because of her that accountability, accountability, accountability. She always wants to be accountable for the uh, the spottiness, but no, sometimes it's me. Last week it was totally me, so I need I need to own that. It's okay. I was here for it. When we give grace, we get grace. All right. Well, until then, I'm Rachel, and I'm Amanda, and thank you for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. Bye.